Village with Willie P. You are listening to WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston Community Radio. My guest on the show is William Fleming. He wrote three series about the MBTA transit. The first one was Code Black. It's about a veteran transit cop jaded by his memories of growing up in the shadows of Boston force busing and desegregation. He knows the truth. The enemy is not some international terrorist cell, but the political and hybris community pit continually pits the haves and the have-nots against each other and one of the country's oldest and most congested cities. His second book, Trouble Waters, Morris, same character, who is struggling to return to a full-time work with Boston Mass Bay Transit Authority. While working through his own mental and physical shortcoming, he goes about trying to locate his homeless cousin and stumbles into a conspiracy to rid the city of its most vulnerable residents through an orchestrated disaster. Today, we're gonna talk about the third rail, which is his third series in his book. And he's probably making, uh, creating more as we speak, but let's talk to him. Hi, Bill, how are you? Good morning, Willie. I just want to thank the Boston Community Radio Station for giving me the opportunity to speak. Uh, for anybody who's listening, if you, you get a chance, you should come down and see the facility here. It's really beautiful. I don't, I don't want to date myself on how old I am, but I was born before man landed on the moon. And when this, this beautiful facility was actually an MBTA power plant, and I do remember the old Eggleston Station across the street, and I always brought back the memories of Ferdinand's by Nubian Station, which used to be called Dudley Station, where my mother uh, took me shopping when we were uh, when I was little, because I grew up on Copeland Street before I moved to uh, Magdala Street in Dorchester. So I like to say to everybody, um, for the I'm OFD originally from Dorchester. You'll see all those bumper stickers, but I think they're being changed now to CAD. Can't afford Dorchester because the rents and the prices of houses have gone through the roof. So high. It is amazing. If you don't own your home, you will not be able to live in Dorchester. That is the absolute truth. So um, tell us, um, can I call you Bill or William? You can call me Bill. Bill's okay. fine. Bill, um, why was it important to continue this, 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 this character? that you develop in the first book. So you continue him into your next series. Why was it important to continue that? Well, I, I always had in the back, uh, I'll first explain to people, uh, uh, listeners, how I come about my stories. And I'll go back to the first one, Code Black. And it's about a, a terrorist event in the city of Boston. 
And I was on the original terrorism task force that was formed after 9-11 by the general manager, Mike Mulhern. And I also was on the uh, terrorism uh, task force for the when it first started for the state. So I, I worked at Broadway Station during St. Patrick's Day for 20 straight years. So I knew every nook and cranny of the station. So I, 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 I wanted to put together a story, which I thought could lead to it. And it was about the abandoned tunnels, which people might not understand. There's a lot of abandoned tunnels on the T. And back in those days, uh, many of the unhoused lived in them. Today, the abandoned tunnel at Broadway is actually a training base for, for EMS, police, and fire to, uh, in case of a disaster on the T or, or any terrorist events. And, and then it's in place now. So I put together a book and and I also, and some of my characters were graffiti artists, aerosol artists, as I will refer to them, and the treatment of the homeless or the unhoused and by the powers that be. My second book uh, was about a disaster uh, where a real estate developer, it's, and the book is called Trouble Waters, decides for the property is so expensive in Boston, he's going to flood the tunnels at Boylston where there are abandoned tunnels and they're quite sizable. And there's also a, an underground concert hall called Steinhardt Hall, which is still there, believe it or not. Now, it's, it's funny because when I wrote about this stuff, people would say there's no such place as Steinhardt Hall, there's no Boylston tunnels. Well, yes, there is. And I got the idea of the flood because back in 1990s at Fenway Station, I was over there when the muddy water rose up, wow. river rose up, and flooded all the tunnels all the way down the Green Line. And I remember, we, you know, because back then we had homeless living in the tunnels at Kimmel Square. And I said, we got to check, wow. check the tunnels for the homeless. So that's wow. where I got the idea for the second book. Nice, nice. And my third book, The Third Rail, and I call it The Third Rail because it has a double meaning. Third Rail is also... In politics, it's question about talking about race relations, and most politicians won't touch it because they're afraid of stepping on the third rail. So I talk about different incidents in Boston, particularly with the you know the school kids, and I concentrate on the treatment of the Vietnamese community back in Dorchester when when several of the uh, you know when hundreds of and thousands of South Vietnamese had to immigrate for their own safety over to. Uh, this country, and they settled in the Dorchester neighborhood, and and quite frankly, they were treated very badly. And and I'm 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 amazed that they're still doing that, and the gangs and all of that that's going on. I'm I'm just amazed that you always think of it in 2023, things would be better. And in your book, I'm finding out about all those things that are happening, and it's um it's crazy. <laughs> well, it's like everything else, and. And I think we can all agree that high school is, is is a tough place for teenagers, and social media has changed everything. And what starts as a simple insult on social media could could lead to a fight. And and on the T over the years, they've they've had problems when school gets out, and and most of the problems stem from the same things that have been. Um, since Romeo and Juliet, boys are fighting over girls and girls are fighting over boys. Absolutely. And, and, and it just explodes. <laughs> but it, it, and sometimes the tea, it gets really serious. 
But but I know that you're right about the social media aspect of things because people can do something on social media and then they take it to the next level. Other people take it to the next level. Like I was looking at the news when they were just, you know, pushing. And I noticed in your book you wrote about those, um, the episodes that happened. So are a lot of your stories that are in the book are real true stories or are they fictitious one that's kind of loosely based on some stories? There's a combination of both. As one person who read my book says, the stuff that is true, nobody would believe. And this, you know, the, the stuff you made up <laughs> is believable. But yeah, mo- most of the stories are based on actual uh, things that happened o- on the tee. I mean, years ago, not to get it, you know, to, to get as we had when the uh, Vietnamese started first moved in along with the Chinese kids, they had problems with kids from other races. And it turned into full-scale brawls where some kids ended up getting stabbed. And this is what it was called. I didn't coin the name. We we had a special train called the Orient Express where we put four police officers on the train and we expressed them from Chinatown to Community College Station. Mm. And, that, and that was just to alleviate the problems. But, you know, and, and it did in a way. And, you know, we, we tried different things. Uh, when I was the... Uh, interim deputy uh, chief, I I played music at Forest uh, Hills, and it was just, it was George Gershwin music, and it wasn't to get rid of the kids. It was more to what I would call security theater, to let the, the adults think we would, you know, we're actually doing something without having to confrontate the, you know, confrontation with the kids and, and stuff. But it was, I just, about a week or two, the Globe did a story, and, and the because the L.A. Metro is doing that now. It's, they're, yeah, they're playing I'm thinking music. it was probably calming them down. You probably were doing something you didn't even realize. No, and it, was. it wasn't. It wasn't the, the kids were laughing about it. But what I said in the uh, one of the comments, where I says, well, uh, Keith Lockhart has a future in crime prevention. Yes. Well, no, what happened was the Globe did a story on it a few weeks ago, which I didn't know about. I just happened to read it. I was kind of stunned. And uh, Keith Lockhart was not happy that they, oh. were, they were using music to... Uh, oh. and, and, and L.A.'s was different. They were they were blasting home, uh, music to get rid of the, the unhoused who were sleeping in the station. Right. Mine was different. Mine was... Mine was the kids were laughing at it, but yeah. we, were, we were playing music that the kids even asked. To, to calm them down, I'm, I'm thinking that would have been, that's a great. And now they have music therapy. Yes. Yeah, it's like you were like right on the cutting edge of those well, thoughts. Well, Keith Lockhart didn't think so from reading his. Yeah, because his, you got to take over his. Uh, <laughs> no, they were, and they were, that was rightly, uh, they were, they were, uh, I think from their uh, the point of view of, uh, was that the music was their music was not being used for what they intended, and mm. it was, and I'm and and I'm sure that you know, and it, mine was not to get rid of uh, kids hanging around train stations. I used to say we used to lure the kids in at Forest Hills with serving food, and you know when they come out of when they come out of school, they they they're looking for a place to hang, and we're serving a pizza, <laughs> popcorn, and everything else. So they're going to hang around train stations. Yes, yes. So, but but at least it had them thinking about something else other than fighting. Yeah, I which, mean, which was a distraction. Yeah, they they they. But most of the kids I talked to, they were laughing about it. Yeah, yeah. 
which was what I wanted them to do. <laughs> We're going to take a pause and... The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241, or you can email radio at bnntv.org. You're back in the... The following commentary does not necessarily reflect... You're back in the village with Willie P. We are WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston Community Radio, and I'm talking to William... Fleming about his new a book that's just released and it's called The Third Rail and it has these two different messages going on. So when you get a chance to read his book, you'll know what we mean. So um, William, I'm calling you Bob, <laughs> William. So um, talk about... Um, how you ended up on being working for the teeth. Give us some kind of background information, and, and then we'll talk further about the book itself. Well, as I said before, I grew up in Dorchester. Um, as when I got out of college, I, uh, well, during college, I was playing uh, lacrosse for Boston State. I'm actually in the Hall of Fame for, at UMass Boston for lacrosse, but uh, nice. Well, I was not a great player. The team was, <laughs> but the uh, what happened after that? I I got shot in a holdup. I was working in a parking lot in downtown Boston, and I was uh, shot in the leg. And right after that, I I dislocated my shoulder. But the standard joke on the uh, the T police where I work was that I got shot in the job in the parking lot, you know. And they were you know. Which was they were all laughing about that. So after that, I I worked as a social worker and I worked with special needs kids, and I also worked at L Street in South Boston, teaching women's exercise classes. Believe it or not, Willie, back in the day, before aerobics. I can't see you. One, no. two, three, stretch. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, after a while, as I said, I was a social worker and I worked with sexually abused kids. And then one day, the uh, the Metro Dade Police in Florida came up and they offered the test here. Uh, at that time, the Boston police were laying off and the Foreign Legion wasn't hiring. So I took the test and I went down there with two other friends of mine, uh, Marky DeLuca, who was later the chief of the Whitman police. And Mark was a, a boxer. His son's a great boxer. Mark, unfortunately, was uh, badly injured and he's paralyzed now uh, in a car accident. And Charlie Burns, who was a Boston police officer, and Charlie is now a private investigator, he was forced to resign, not resign, retire from the Boston police after he was shot three times during a domestic event. So I was called by the transit police, and uh, I came up here, and, and I started, and we started as, back in those days, the transit police had officers assigned to buses, and I always thought that was the best way for an officer to to learn the community as you're sitting by yourself on the back of a bus Basically, I suppose it's like riding shotgun on the old Stagecoast Express. And so you get to talk to people there. And over the years, I, I was a, uh, I worked as a plainclothes officer. I was a sergeant in detectives. I was deputy chief in charge of investigations when the 
terrorist strike. And also the best job I ever had was I was a canine officer. Nice. So I had a, a canine. And and just to explain to you, when back in those days, the canines, the dogs were actually donated. So some of the dogs were land sharks, as I call them, because they were completely crazy. Mine was, he played in the house with my kids and stuff. So oh. I, it, it they was. Do, they don't do that anymore, right? They keep them separate. No, well, yes. But the, most of the dogs today, I, I always say it's like it's like buying a Mercedes. It's already they're already trained, uh, so it's a lot easier to, to train them. Uh, yeah, they you know usually usually don't keep them in the house, but my wife wanted to keep them in the house, so we stayed in the house. So mm. that was, and it was uh, you know that that was probably the the most. Uh, enjoyable job I ever had. My kids love the dog. So, And actually, one funny story about the dog, if I may tell it. Yes. I was walking. I lived in Dorchester in the time by Florian Hall, so I would walk the dog behind Florian Hall. And there, there was a, before, it's now a, a bike path. And so I was letting my son walk the, the dog. He was little at the time. And the dog started digging. He rolled over and he got mud all over him. And I was yelling at my son and and you know, I, was, I was swearing at him, you know, in this, and he's looking at me. Well, several years later, we turned on the TV, and that's where they located the bulger bodies that uh, he had buried. And my son was just sitting there eating the popcorn. He turned to me and said, "Should have listened to the dog." Yeah, <laughs> he 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 had discovered something. He was smelling something. <laughs> yes. And on the on the subject of Mr. Bulger too, and 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 he, I have some characters that are loosely based on. Um, on him. And my wife said, hi, Willie. Uh, <laughs> my wife had gone to the trial with uh, a friend of hers who she believed that Whitey had was the cause of her father's death. He had disappeared off a bridge, uh, the Granite Ave Bridge in Dorchester. Mm-hmm. So when Whitey was coming to trial, he was staring at the girl and the girl said, she knows, you know, he, he's looking at me. So she wrote him a letter and I have a copy of the letter and Whitey, Whitey wrote back. Mm. And all he was asking about was the girl sitting next to him, which is my wife. <laughs> and, he said, oh. and I said to my wife, Whitey Bulger had the hearts for you? <laughs> That's good. <Yeah. laughs> good stuff. Now, going back to your book and your characters, now, in the, in the third rail, um, Morris is dealing with some issues of— what they called him with the animal and the the suspense without giving away. Is any of those characters, um, want, which one are your favorite character in there as the writer? Actually, I I really enjoy, uh, and I'll say one character, and, and enjoy it and because and, and, it was based on a true story. It was the Ten Man who was an uh a homeless uh, gentleman, but that's based on two characters. It was based on a kid named Leroy McDet, who did actual mime imitations. He was great at it, and uh, we used to talk to Leroy. I wanted him to do a thing, and I combined him with a a gentleman who was a friend of mine. Uh, you wouldn't remember the name. I'll just say Rod. Mm-hmm. He, he played for the New England Patriots. He was a great linebacker. He blew out his knee. Uh, unfortunately, Rod, yeah, after that, his, 
is he had money problems. His wife left him. He turned to drugs. And Rod, who was the nicest guy in the world, ended up being a male, male prostitute down the zone. Aww. And he passed away due to AIDS. Oh, and wow. I always thought, you know, the NFL never tells the story of some of the, the people they discarded and they should have helped. Right, right. And that's true, because when I'm walking, even on Methadone Mile, you look at people and you want to turn your eye away from them. And you're thinking, oh, they just, you know, they just these drudgents of the city and they bring in the city down. But these are real people who had real lives, who who really, you know, might have been doctors, lawyers, just got a bad, a bad rap or something really devastating, traumatic drama that happened to them in their life that that led them down this path. So you're right. I think I think that would be one of the uh, things to talk about where, you know, the NFL or any of these um, uh, leagues, major leagues who don't really do anything to help these people. I agree with you. Yeah, and and, and, you, and to go back to the uh, the methadone mile and, and it's it's real uh, mass and cast, you know, it's a shame that they didn't open Long Island. What happened for people who don't understand? It, they had a campus out in Long Island for the you know for people who were drug dependent. But one of the things that was good about that was that they. It, to get out to the island, you had to go through – back then they had a public health police and they would stop cars going in. So you couldn't – you know, you couldn't smuggle in drugs, or, or, you know, and, or, you know, in massive casts after midnight. Uh, you know, you have all these johns preying on the females there for prostitution. So right. you, you would stop that. Right. And I don't know the mayor of Quincy, and I know they've they got the lawsuit there, and their major complaint is because of the traffic that might cause it, a few buses coming in from, you know, that the, the T would, you know, would bring the homeless, uh, the unhosed out to the campus. You know, that's stalling the bridge. But if you look at Quincy, at North Quincy Station, they just put in a thousand a thousand apartment uh, rooms and major major office space and everything else. So they built downtown Quincy, and nobody complains about the traffic there. But they complain that a few buses of the unhoused might get shipped out to Long Island, and that's stopping stopping the bridge. Isn't isn't it weird? It's just it's crazy. Now, when you were doing the MBTA, and this is the last question, and I know time is winding down. We got a couple more minutes. We got a couple more minutes. Is there anything that you want to say about your book that we haven't talked about? No, you know, I I think if people are interested about the MBTA, I think everybody who rides the MBTA has their own stories. So if if you get an opportunity to uh, to check out my books, you you could probably identify with half the stories that that come in there. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, and I you know I still keep up with stories on the MBTA. I mean. Two sad stories that people probably don't know about just happened in the last week. At North Station after the Celtics game, this, this poor guy was hit, got killed by a train. What he did was he, he kicked, probably out of frustration of the Celtics loss, he kicked the door window, the glass shattered, he got his foot stuck, and it dragged him down the platform. Aww. 
But the sad part about that story is somebody came by and stole his crucifix that was on the plat- platform, and that's that's pretty low. And there was, you know, another sad story that just happened last week, which you won't probably hear about anywhere, is there was a group of 12-year-olds, they were on a Silver Line bus about 2 in the morning, and th- their plan was to take a plane out of Logan Airport. Well, obviously, they didn't have tickets or anything, and um, an officer responded and— you know, the kids were trying to run away from home, but he, he commandeered the bus, took it back to headquarters where the kids were released to their parents, you know, and hopefully that'll work out for them. Yes, yes. But, I mean, those, those, I mean, if you do enjoy reading about public transportation, about the subway, about the city of Boston, uh, I, I think any one of those three books, the, the people would enjoy it. Yes, they, they are Excellent, excellent books. I've read them. I enjoyed them. And uh, we are done. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, William Fleming, for coming on. His book is called The Third Rail. Thank you for coming on and sharing your story with us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's, That's great and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass. 02119, attention WBCALP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org. We are WBCALP 102.9 FM, Boston Community Radio, and you have been in the village with Willie P. Until next time, this is Sunday Morning by Wally Ali. It's good to help someone just because it's the right thing to do. It's good to honor someone that makes an impact in your life or the life of others. Seek and you will find the village helps you redefine the things that treat unkind. It takes a village to make a difference. So be kind. 